Hi, this is Pastor Rick. I'm a lover of On Demand. I absolutely love, love On Demand. It's amazing what it does to you. It's amazing how it lifts your life and lifts your spirit. You don't want to miss this sermon. This sermon is powerful because it's me on the road and I'm sharing a message with some wonderful folks I love in Atlanta at Word of Faith. And it's a sermon that talks about the importance of a person making a decision to build a future. One man made a decision that changed everything for his life. It changed everything for his family. And so I want you to join me and allow this message to bless you. I'll be right back at the end of the sermon to pray for you. So please stay with me and allow this message to change your life. Enjoy. The question is, what will it take for you to get to the future that God desires for you? How can God get you from here to there? Now, I want to tell you something that you might find fascinating. Now, you might have heard me say this before. What you see me do right now, I'm doing right now, I never dreamed I would do this. I never wanted to, let me just be clear, be a pastor? Absolutely not. I never prayed to be one, asked to be one. I got drafted. I never, I never planned. I mean, I just kind of obeyed God, and then, you know, I obeyed God, and then I did a little bit of this, and then one day I gave a testimony, and somebody said, you did a good job, and, and then they then asked me to do another testimony, and I gave another testimony. This is truth. And then they said, well, would you mind preaching a sermon? I said, no, I don't preach now. I just gave a testimony. <laughs> I just get up and say, I thank and praise the Lord for being here, and, thank, you know, that kind of testimony, that was it. And before you know it, I got up and I, and I, and I said, well, let me, let me, they told me to preach. And they only gave me three minutes, so I said, I can't do bad. <laughs> and they had a little bell. Anybody know what I'm talking about? When they had a little bell, and they said, if you, if you go over three minutes, we're going to hit the bell. And I said, oh, no, I can't do that. And I used to watch those other young ministers get up and other young guys get up. And, and they asked me to do it. And I said, well, I'll, I'll give it a try. And I, and, they, and I heard everybody got, I call it dung before me. Bing, bing, and they would keep going. I don't know why they do that. When they, when they tell you to sit down, sit down. But they would keep on talking because they was anointed. So finally they come and, you ever seen this happen? They pull your coattail. You ever seen that? They come and pull your coattail, you see. And I vowed to God that would never happen to me. And then when they taught me to preach, they said, now you got to preach like this. You got to start off slow, but then you got to work your way on up a little bit. Can you say, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I said, okay, I see how to, I said, what I got to do now. So I got to get up here, and I, I, I don't want to get dong. Then I got to end on, in three minutes, and I got to get to it. So here's what I would do. I would start off slow, and I'd give myself a topic. I'd say, well, today we're going to talk about building your future. And then I would, you know, build it up, build it slow. And then by, by, by two minutes in, I'd say, well, it's about time now. Can you say, yeah, yeah? I know God can help you build a future. If you call his name, he'll help you build a future. Can you say yes? Come on, talk to me, church. Oh, man, I would, I would just, oh, and then they, they liked me. And the whole church was screaming, yeah. And then they all fall out. I said, oh, I did pretty good. And I, I sat down in three minutes. And then the next time they gave me 10 minutes. And all the little pre- preachers got jealous. And then they gave me the whole sermon. And I'm telling you, I was preaching. I used to preach so hard, I'd sweat out my clothes. Honest to God, I would sweat and I would run around and I did everything I was, I was supposed to do. I guess that. But then I got tired and I stopped doing that. My throat was getting, was hurting. And, 
Then, you know, sometimes when you preach like that, you get confused. You don't know where you're at. You know it's the truth. <laughs> so you be preaching like this. You say, well, 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 I know God is able. I know he's able. Now I'm lost right now. I know he's able. Come on, say able. Oh, yeah, Lord, Lord. Now in my head, where was I, where was I, where was I, where was I, where was I? <laughs> Every now and then to get on me, so you better watch it. They might hit me one day. I, I still might flow that way just a little bit. But I tell you, one of the things that I've learned in my life, for me, that was not my future. Not, not all the time. I, I found that God had a way for me. That was my way, just like God has a way for you. But the question is, how can God get you from here to there? Here's what God had to do. Put me around people that would let me be me. Come on. And once I got around people, I found a way that I communicate that works for me long term. And so I flow in my own gifting and my own strength. And what's amazing is that God brought me to a future that I never expected. He took me places and I do things that I never dreamed I could do. But let me ask you this, and, and you might really have never thought about this. Whose job is it to build your future? Now, I'm going to tell you, a lot of people say, well, it's the Lord's job. And this is how they pray, Lord, show me what you want me to do. I want, I want your future for my life. I don't think you should ever start with that prayer. Jesus, when the disciples came to him, you know, James and John and, and, and their mama, he said, what do you wish? He asked them, what do you want? Now, some of us, we, we, we think that's a trick question, but let me help you. He's omniscient. He already knows what you want. He's just trying to get you to talk about it. What do you want? Wouldn't it be bad if somebody came to you, you went to a restaurant, and, 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 and they're cooking for you, and they don't like cooking? I want somebody cooking for me that loves cooking. Come on, say, what do I want? You don't sound like you want nothing. Now, come on, say, what do I want? What do I want? Say it like a minute. Come on, say, what do I want? What do I want? That's the question. If we're going to build a future, you have to first understand this is your responsibility. It starts with you. God's going to partner with you, and I'll show you that in a minute. But the real question is, what do you want for your life? Not what I want, what the church wants, what you want, what, not what your husband wants, what your wife wants, your children want. What do you want? And some of us are afraid to do that. But let me show you a verse in John 14, 26. Because this is important. In John chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus said, when I leave, I'm going to send you somebody that's going to help you, a comforter. He's not going to do everything for you. Here's what he said. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance that I have spoken to you. Everything you need, I'm going to help you do it. But he does not do it all the work alone. It's not his job to do everything for you. 
You can't just pray and say, I want to make $100,000 a year. It's not happening. You can't just pray and say, I want a good man and you're not a good woman. You can't pray. You can't pray for God to get you out of trouble and you keep getting in trouble. You can't pray to be healthy and, and you got a cheeseburger every day in one hand and fries in the other and a jumbo Coke with full of sugar and you pray and you pray over it. Father, bless us in Jesus' name. <laughs> Let your spirit bring grace to hungry people starving all over the world. Now, I'm saying you can eat it every now and then, but you know, some of you eat it more than you should and you know it and, you, and you're praying for God to bless you. You're asking God to heal your marriage and you're cussing out each other. God can't heal your marriage. You see, at some point in your life, I have a job to do. He helps me. He sent me a comforter to help me, but there's a part that I play. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, he goes on to say this. We are laborers together. Say that with him, please. Come on. We are laborers together with God. Pause right there. 1 Corinthians 3, 9, we are laborers together with God. He's not doing it all. I mean, he's just not doing it all. That's why sometimes we sit around and we, we're frustrated. And you, and you hear people have these incredible moments of frustration with God. And it goes something like this. I don't know why you put me here. He goes, what did I do? You didn't get me this job. This is the only job you qualified for. Don't know when you look for, what are you talking to me for? Look at this house, it's a mess. That's your stuff, your shirt, your blouse. That's your shirt. That's your stuff. What are you talking about? These evil children, you raised them? They were with you, they weren't with me. They live in your house. I'm in heaven, you in 14 or 13, wherever you live. How in the world is it all his fault? Lord, I'm unhealthy. I went to the doctor and he told me, okay, you haven't been here in how many years? You didn't go get checked. Your teeth was hurting. The teeth was telling you, I'm coming out. <laughs> it was telling you a signal and you ignored it. You ignored it for years. Somebody, the name of Jesus, name of Jesus. <laughs> now I said, I'm coming out. There you go. Praise God. That's it. That's one. Counting down. There you go two. Come on, say, laborers together, laborers together. With, God. with God. This idea that God's in a solo mission to take care of your life. And I want you to pause and think about this. If you can get this in your mind and get it right, we can build something better. See, that's, that's, that's what this is all about. This series I'm in is all about teaching people how to build it better. If you don't like it, let's build it better. If the kids are all off, let's have a meeting. Okay, I raised all of you all crazy. Let's have a meeting, okay? Let's fix this. This is, what, this is what you do. You get honest with yourself, and you start doing what you didn't do. Can we get a big amen? amen. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to show you somebody in the Bible, because I think it'll be helpful to you, who built the future. And it's nothing like looking at a building project. If you want to build something right, this Genesis chapter 12 is where we're going to start. And I want to show you a guy that God took in his hands and he helped build a future. And there are four things that God had to teach Abraham, who's our case study today, that helped him build a future. And, and I love the fact that the Bible records people by name. And I think it's because he really believes in educating you with people by name. 
And some of you got people in your life, you could name them. You can say, oh, Bob started here and then he ended up there. Boy, I tell you, I can tell you what happened. The four things that Bob did wrong. And what I love about God is he says, I'm going to write, I'm going to put your name in, in a book and for thousands of years I'm going to tell people about you. Talk about, talk about writing a book. This is amazing. I know Abraham didn't know he was going to be in a book for thousands of years. People are going to hear all your business, hundreds of years. They're going to see all your secrets, your private conversations with your wife. Can you imagine if God did you like that? If God said, you know, I'm going to write a book, I'm going to make you the celebrity startup, and I'm going to put everything you did on the screen, everybody's going to hear your words. You know, when you went, okay, you said, don't do that, Lord. Amen. I hear you. But I want you to see four things. Everybody hold up four things. Say four things. There are four things that God taught Abraham. Four things we learn from how God built Abraham's future. Now, he, he meets him in a place called Uz. He meets him in this country. He's in this place, and it's not fancy. It's not big. It's a small town, and, and, and they're idol worshipers. His family is idol worshipers. Everybody's ungodly. Nobody serves God. Everybody's loose. Now, God saves him, touches him, and all of a sudden now, he has one major goal. I've got to get him out of here. He's in the wrong city. He's in the wrong place. We cannot build a future here. Can you say that with me, please? Come on. We cannot build a future here. Here's what happened. This is Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now, the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from the family, from your family, from your father's house to a land that I will show you. Now, there's a lot of problems in that verse because some people want to stay where they are. But you can't have a future here. Now, I want to tell you something. I, I mean this. As long as you stay around certain people, you will have certain things in your life. Now, here's the problem, though. Pastor Rick, I just have a problem because the things say leave your family. Well, you, you know, sometimes you have to tell Cousin Bubba you can't hang around him. Abram's family was in a place that God could never accomplish his purposes if he stayed there. He just couldn't. Now, I don't mean for all of you tomorrow to go find a place to move. I'm just simply saying, there's, sometimes that's the job, friends. I don't know for you how that applies, but for Abraham, he had to leave the city he was in. And, he, and, and, and here's, here's the problem. In order for him to accomplish this, he had to be in the right place. He had to teach him where the right place was for his destiny. See, listen, I was born in Savannah, Georgia, but God knew Ricky Temple could not be the Ricky Temple I need him to be living in Savannah, Georgia for all of his life. He picked me up and moved me all the way to Los Angeles for a reason. He said, I'm going to take him over there and I'm going to change him. And I'm going to do something in him that's different. And then, to my utter surprise, there came a time when he said, now it's time for him to move from here. And I'm going to move him all the way back over here, stop off in Charlotte for a few minutes, and then I'm going to move him all the way over here back to Savannah, Georgia. Now, understand something. I was a baby when I moved from Savannah to L.A., so I didn't know what I was going to. I grew up thinking that was normal, you see. But when I was over here, and I visited Savannah, I couldn't believe that God was telling me to go back to Savannah. 
I didn't hear God. I thought, what, 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 what? They have a street in Savannah called Ogeechee Road. Everybody say it with me, please. Come on, can you say it? Ogeechee Road. Good police. If you're watching from Ogeechee Road, I love you, okay? Good part of town. But I, I just didn't want to go back to Ogeechee Road. So I said, no, I'm not going to Geechee Road. I'm, I'm right here in Hollywood. But God said, your blessing is on what street? You need to come on back over here. You see, this is where you're supposed to be. I, I didn't know that God, God, wanted me, God, God, God wanted me here for a reason. People needed me. God was going to raise up a church, three, almost 3,500 people, thousands of people have come through our church over the time. I mean, it, it, God, God had a purpose for me. You've got to make sure you're in the right place. Some of you, you, you could be in the wrong church. Not now, you're in the right church right now, you understand. <laughs> but, but some people, you're in a place you can't grow. Sometimes you're in a job, you can't, you can't grow. So you've got to get, first of all, in the right place. If you're going to build a future, come on, say, I must be, come on, in the right place. The second thing he had to teach him was he had to teach him that he did not need to compromise during times of famine. Once Abraham got in the right place, you know, sometimes when you get in the right place, you think, well, it's supposed to be perfect. Let me tell you something. You can get in the right place, move to the right city, and it can be tough. If you look at Genesis chapter 12, verse 10, it says, now there was a famine in the land. Now that's a problem. You tell me to move here. You told me to move here now. I'm in Atlanta now. I don't know what's going on. Nobody's discovered me yet. Your job is not the job you wanted. You, you don't have the things you thought you was going to have. You know, you, you, you start a church and nobody shows up but five people. I believe that God sometimes uses and allows the famine to teach you. I, I have a little saying, the famine teaches there's nothing like having need. There's nothing like it. I don't like it, but there's nothing like it. And so he gets into the promised land. He does exactly what God tells him. He goes to the place God tells him to go, and it's tough. Building a future requires seasons when it's tough. But when it's tough, you don't need to compromise. Here's what he does. Watch this now. Now, there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe. Now, that's hard to even explain. Wait, well, you told me to go here, and, and it's, it's tough to get a job. It, it's tough. I don't understand that. Verse 11, and it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt, he said to Sarah's wife, listen, I, I, you, you're, you're beautiful. Verse 12, and it will be happen that when the Egyptians see you, they, they'll say she is fine. That's in the small print. <laughs> and they will kill, kill me and keep you alive. So I want you to tell a lie. Tell them you're my sister. Now, you're really my half-sister, but we, we, we ain't going to get into all that. What you're going to do is lie. What are you going to do, Sarah? I'm going to lie. Okay, you lie. <laughs> well, if you read on through the story, he didn't have to lie because God was going to redeem him anyway, give him favor with Pharaoh, but he lied. And Pharaoh finds out he lied and said, why did you lie? It's hard when you're talking to say people and they lie to you. You don't have to compromise. You don't have to compromise. I see it all the time. You don't have to, you don't have to do things that are dishonest to be blessed. Come on, say amen. amen. And so building a future, he had to teach him. I need you to get to the right place. I need you to not 
compromise and he allows him to be embarrassed. Pharaoh embarrassed him and put the little leave, this leave. It's so sad sometimes when you see good people. And he's a good man, a man of faith. But he compromised. I want you to hear me. You can be a good person, but in some areas of your life, we're all guilty. You compromise. And so he wants to teach him to build a future. You don't have to compromise. Thirdly, he wants to teach him that you don't have to manipulate. He manipulated the moment. You know, I, I found this incredible principle that I just thought was amazing. It's a, in a book. I love reading, of course. And the book is by Simon Sinek. And the book is it's called Start With Why. And he says this incredible thing that I just thought was phenomenal about manipulation. He said, you know, that manipulation is not the same as inspiration. When you manipulate people, and in sales sometimes, you see it, he used this illustration. You know, when you're trying to sell uh, this car, you, you, if you're not careful, you'll manipulate the facts and everything to get the sale because you're trying to close out the month strong. You want to get that sale because, you know, your numbers are down and you want to get the sale. And so you'll, well, you know, well, you know the sale going in in five minutes if you don't sign this deal. You know, you, you kind of set it up so they got to get it right now. And you're not thinking long term. Inspiration is different. Inspiration is not about the moment. It's about a long term relationship. I'm trying to get you to buy cars for me for the rest of your life. I want you to think about me when you think about cars. Now, I have a guy that sold me my car, and he sold me my last several cars. And you know why he sold my wife a car? He got my son a car, my daughter a car. Now, you know how he did that? He's inspired me. When he sold me the first thing, he sold me a minivan. We know we got kids start growing up, we needed a minivan. You remember that season? Some of you in it right now. <laughs> and so somebody told me, go down to this dealership and only talk to him. So I went down there and I started talking to him. You know, when you start talking to those car salesmen, you got to get ready for them. You know what I'm saying? So I went down there with my sumo rule. All right, all right. You know, and I looked up everything, going with all my numbers, but he didn't use any tricks. He just told me the truth, gave me the greatest deal, and I was inspired when I left it. And so my other car was needed. I came back to the same guy and I bought another car from him. And every time my cars break down, I go to one place. As a matter of fact, when I walk in the dealership, everybody else is parched away because they know I'm only going to talk to him because I'm inspired. Can you say inspired? inspired. Don't manipulate people. Inspire people. Think long term. Come on, say man, if you hear me. Think long term. Now, now, let me show you how it applies in your family. You can manipulate your kids. I'll beat you. I'm going to beat you right now in front of all your friends. But you haven't inspired him to believe in what you believe in. And one day when that doesn't work because he's 6'4 and 400 pounds or 210 pounds of muscle, you up in his face, you scared yourself. I'm going to beat you, but you don't say it as loud. I'm going to beat you. I'm your mama. <laughs> now you can't manipulate him. Come on, say man, if you're hearing me. Now, now you have to inspire it. That, that's why you want to win his mind, not just his fear. Politicians can learn from that. Don't manipulate us, inspire us. Come on, say man. There's something about 
Abraham getting this message. You don't have to manipulate. Later on, manipulation becomes another issue for him, for his wife. So he wanted to be in the right place. He wanted to not teach him not to compromise, not to manipulate. And then the fourth and one of the biggest things in order for him to build the future he needed was he had to learn how to deal with people, difficult people, especially family. In the 13th chapter of, of Genesis, there's an exchange between Lot, his nephew, and Abram. This exchange is fascinating because what it says is this is a guy who's still trying to go in the right direction, Abraham, but he's running into this family member. Now, I don't know who in your family could fit this description, but Lot's the guy you helped. Lot's father died, and so Abram took him in. You know, during the funeral, you make a lot of promises you should maybe pray about, but you know, you, you come on, stay with me. It's all right. Your daddy was a good man. You know, he just come on. So he comes and stays with, 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 with Abram. You should pray at the funeral. Just pray. Don't say anything. Just pray. Just pray. <laughs> so, so he comes in, and Abraham prospers, and Lot prospers. Now, when Abraham prospers, Lot prospers. Lot gets a whole lot of cattle, and Abraham have a whole lot of cattle, and you think, you know, now this is me. If I prospered because of you, I'd be singing your praises. Uncle Abraham, you couldn't talk about him. I'd fight you if you talk about him. You couldn't talk about him. You know, Uncle Abraham gave me all this. Uncle Abraham took me when my daddy died. I'd remember all that. Hey, Uncle Abraham brought me with him to, the, to Canaan. Hey, Uncle Abraham is my favorite. But listen to what the Bible says. This is Genesis 13, 5. Lot also went with, with Abram, and he had flocks and herds and tents. Verse 6 of chapter 13, now the land was not able to support them. So they were so successful that they dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. Now, I, I want to just pause and say they were not broke, and they were not struggling. They were working hard, and I'll talk more about that in a minute, but watch verse 7. But there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of, of Lot's livestock. And that is a lesson. Success brings strife. Success brings tension. I have a saying, I've never made friends with money. I've only lost them. So all of a sudden now you've got this guy who's, who's fighting with his uncle and he's letting his staff fight with his uncle. Now me, I would think you come out here and say, listen, all of you better leave Uncle Abraham alone. Uncle Abraham gave us all this stuff we got. But you know, it's amazing how people forget. And, and, and this becomes the biggest hindrance to you getting to your future. Because you don't know how to manage challenging people and challenging circumstances. You're asking God to bless you, but you don't have any patience. You don't know how to respond. You don't know what to do. You don't know how to respond to this. Now, if you read it on, you read on in the story, and I'll tell you what he did. Abraham was smart enough to know that God brought him here and God would get him there. Come on, say that with him, please. Say, God brought me here, and God will get me there. Don't need to manipulate. Don't need to compromise. I don't need to be upset. So he goes to him. If you read on in the story, and he says, let's settle this. 
Now, I like the fact that he took the initiative. Why? Because he wanted a different future. He didn't like what was being built. He didn't want to build a house of strife. Now, some of you are in strife with people, and you ain't, you're not saying anything. You're silent. You just you walk around the house, don't talk. Mm -hmm. Praise the Lord. Then that's all you're saying. Now, I want you to watch this. Abraham was the kind of guy who said, no, no, we're going to talk about this. We're going to sit down and we're going to figure this out. And, and listen to what he said. Now, this is important. He said, I'm going to take the high ground. If you go left, I'm going to go right. If you go right, I'm going to go left. Wherever you want to take your herdsmen, you can have. And, you, and you know, this is that moment when, when he does, Lot does something that shows you a lot about his lack of appreciation. He chose the best land. He chose the best land for himself. Now, in that moment, time to fight. <laughs> I know you're not choosing the best land after all I did for you. I should have let you stay back there with your dead daddy. You know, could have been that way. <laughs> but, but, but what he does is he says, go ahead. And then watch this God, if you read on in the story, God steps in and says, come here, Abraham, step out your tent. Let me show you something. Look up, son. He said, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you everything on the left, on the right, everything around you. I'm going to give it all to you. Come on, say, I don't have to compromise. Come on. You don't have to be ghetto. You don't have to compromise. You're going to win in the end anyway because God's on your side. Come on, say amen. Challenging people, that's part of my life. That's part of my job. My job is to have challenging people in my life. You know, when you're a pastor and you got challenging people, challenging members, challenging, it's just part of my life. And, and I just, I learned how to deal with it. You know, it's bad when you're in the membership class and you see people joining, you say, oh, no, don't join, don't join, don't join. Jesus, don't join. <laughs> There's a lot of good churches in town, I'm telling you, right around the corner. <laughs> the Lord said, no, I want them to join your church. I want, I, want you, I, want you to, I want you to hug them. I want you to talk to them. Some of you are praying to get off that job. God said, no, I got you there for a reason. You're a light in darkness. You say, but they cuss. You're a light in cussing. You're a light. You're supposed to be here. It's supposed to be like this. You ever had somebody come to your house and, and then not, they weren't invited? The Lord said, I sent them over there. So they can see patients up close. <laughs> you a light. How are you going to be a light and there's no darkness around? You got to have some darkness around you. Come on, say amen. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? I, I've been on many jobs and, I didn't, and the people were terrible. They were, they were terrible. And that's why he had me there. I need you here. Some of you said, stop, Pastor Rick, because I'm trying to quit. Don't quit. Sometimes, God, that's why you can't find another job. He said, no, I got you here for at least five more years. See, look at you moaning already. You're, caught, you're moaning. You're a missionary on that job. You're the only light in there. Nobody else saved. Some of you say, oh, you know, Bishop should have got somebody else tonight. I'm telling you. You need, you need to hold on. Think about it. You know, it's amazing. You're so saved, you forgot how unsaved you used to be. Oh, yeah, now you can remember. Go back in your, you used to be terrible. You used to be the one that somebody needed to be a light for, but somebody stayed around you with your ungodly self. Come on, say amen. That's why you ought to be more patient. 
I see these mates, you know, somebody, your mate gets saved, and then one, one saved, one not saved, one serving God, one not, and, and they, they, they beer, and their whiskey was right next to yours, right there. It used to be twin packs sitting right next to each other. And now you save, and you don't even remember how it used to taste, but you, your, your beer spot is still there. You forgot. You forgot. You've forgotten. And you need to remember. It may be challenging for you. It may be the life you used to live, but you got to learn how to love people, and you got to learn how to let them swim on through it because here's what's going to happen. One day, the tide will change. Because here's what's going to happen. If you act like Lot, trouble's coming. Trouble's coming, and it came to Lot in a way that he never expected. One day, Lot was cutting up and, and living in his new land in Sodom and Gomorrah, and all of a sudden, in chapter 14 of Genesis, the world changes. Now he's got a future that he's created. Lot's in a place now, but he didn't realize he was building it. And I want to show you two things God did not need to teach Abraham that helped him build a future, but also want to show you the future that Lot created for himself. Look at chapter 14, verse 14. Now, when Abraham heard his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his house, and went in pursuit. And some of you say, what are you reading, Pastor? Well, I'm reading the story about what happened. You see, Abraham heard that something had happened to Lot that shocked him. Some men came and captured the whole city where he was, took over everything. You know, I tell you, I have lived 58 years, and I'm telling you something I know. It always changes. The future always comes. You do people wrong. You lie, you compromise, you take advantage, you don't act grateful one day. You know, you got those children that talk back and they talk back, say things, just wait, don't worry, get your clock set, it's coming. <laughs> Broke is coming their way, they will call you soon, it won't be long. If you act up on your job, you can then late all the time. It's coming or it's coming, it's coming. And I'm saying, I'm not wishing it on anybody, but it always comes. 58 years, I'm telling you, I've seen it over and over again. I've seen people play with God. I've seen people serve God, come to church and pretend, and then go live all kind of lives. I've seen all that. But after a while, all of a sudden, you see them on the news. After a while, things change, and all of a sudden, riding high, riding high, living good, making money the illegal way, your TV that you're watching your Christian programs on, you know you can get that TV for $5. You know that's not a $5 TV. <laughs> keep on riding, keep on doing what you're doing. Eventually, at one, one day, it shows up, and one day, while Lot was cruising down the street in Sodom and Gomorrah, all of a sudden, he saw these soldiers came in. They captured the whole city, took his family, took his jewelry, took all his stuff, and dragged him out of, his, out of town with his family. Now, when that happens, this is what Abraham could have said, mm-hmm. But he gets up on the high ground again. One thing about Abraham, he understood that to build a future, you've got to do what's right. And so what did Abraham do? He went, 
And he got his men, and I love this, he had 318 trained servants. Now, what I like about Abraham is there are some things God had to teach him, and there are some things God didn't have to teach him. He understood, I live in a dangerous world, and I need to be trained. So he had 318 ninjas trained just in case. Come on, say just in case. Now, I want to tell you something. You can be so heavenly minded that you're not realistic. Some of you don't lock your car, you pray over it. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray you protect my car. You go in your house and you don't lock your doors. You just, you just believe that God's going to protect you. Now, I want to I show you, there's no, God didn't have to teach him this. But I want you to notice, Lot didn't get it. He was in the wrong place, with the wrong attitude, and now he's living in slavery and doesn't see a way out. But because of his good old Uncle Abram, he got on his horse, gathered his 318 ninjas, and they went down there and they kung fu'd him free. <laughs> they, they took charge, and I'm telling you something, this, this was amazing. He set everybody free. The whole town, he freed everybody, and he learned, he's learned something that no one had to teach him. He looked around and saw his environment and said, I need to do something to protect myself. I need to be prepared. Let me ask you something. Are you prepared? Can you protect yourself? Now, I'm not talking about going to get a gun. I'm talking about just in life in general. You know, we take so much for granted. God showed me when it comes to my finances, I need to be prepared to defend myself. When it comes to my health, I need to defend myself. When it comes to my mind, I need to defend myself. I need to be informed. I don't need to be the dumbest one in the room. I need to make sure that I'm ready. Abraham was ready to defend himself. You know what's interesting? They went and captured Lot, but they knew not to go fool with Abraham. Now, that's amazing. They went and captured that city, but they didn't go over there and fool with them. Now, I want to tell you, that's because Abraham understood that. What are you doing to defend yourself? You know why you need to go to college, young lady? Because you need to defend yourself. You need to be able to protect yourself. You, what, you're relying on some man who loves you. You're relying on some woman. Why don't you defend yourself? The church, the body of Christ needs to be prepared to defend itself. We need to be good with our money. We need to be honest. Come on, say amen if you hear what I'm saying. Abraham, was a, he was good with his money. He was, he was able to defend himself. He was able, watch this now, because he had all that together, he could help somebody else. Are you in a position where you can't even help yourself? You sure can't help anybody else. God didn't have to teach him that. He just knew that. There's some things you should just know. I'm 58 years old. There's some things I just should know. The last thing that I thought was fascinating, there's no indication this next thing that Abraham did that he was taught or forced to do it. He gave. After he won the battle, freed the city, freed everybody, he comes, he comes back and he brings his tithe. He tithes off of what he won. 
Wow. He tithed off of it. He said, I'm not going to just go and have all this victory in my life. I'm going to honor God first. Well, there you go. There you go. I knew it was coming somewhere down the road. He's going to slide that on in there. He's going to get that in there, you know. Tie, get God offering. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'll talk to you in a minute. Let me read the verse. I'm, I promise I'm going to talk to you. But look, look at chapter 14, verse 18. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread. He was a priest of God most high. And he blessed him. This is after the battle now. Blessed be Abraham, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. Listen to what he says. Blessed be the God most high who delivered your enemies. He delivered your enemies. One more time. He delivered your enemies. He kept you healthy. He gave you a job. He gave you a career. He lifted your life, put you in that house, put you in that car, gave you that wife, gave you those children. Abraham wasn't confused. You can't take 318 men and win this kind of battle. You can't go out here and do this without, without help. You cannot win by yourself. I don't know if you think you did this because you're handsome or you did it because you're cute. You think you just got this opportunity because you're smart. No, God blessed you. Oh, yeah, you've forgotten where you came from. But let me tell you, if God took his hands off of you, you couldn't do half the things you do. When Abraham finished winning the battle, when Abraham finished, I'm sure he took his shoes off and said, I want to thank the living God who gave me victory. I'm glad that I won. He knew God gave him victory, and he acted like it. He took a tithe of it, 10 cents for every dollar. I want to honor God first. I want everybody to know that me and the ninjas know we didn't do this by ourselves. I'm tithing. Nobody's getting anything. Off the top, I'm honoring God. I make 100,000, he getting 10,000 from the top. I thank God for the 90, but I want God to know that I'm thankful. Well, Reverend, let me tell you something. This is my money. Yes, it is. For now. But let me tell you something. Ask yourself this question as an investor. What's in it for God? Why should he bless you? Maybe, maybe he should act like you. What's mine is mine and what's yours is yours. Maybe he should take your attitude. Maybe he should say, maybe he shouldn't care. It's not just about, it's not just about the tithe, even though I believe that's holy and sacred. It's about the attitude he had. It's, 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 this, this, this is the kind of guy that can build an incredible future. This is the kind of guy that could be the exalted father over nations. This is the kind of guy that could be the father of many nations. This is the kind of guy, because his attitude is, I'm thankful. He wasn't perfect. He made mistakes, but he was thankful. You may not be perfect, but you and your family should say to God, I thank you. Come on, say amen. You ought to say, I thank you. 
You know, it was in this moment that you can look at him and see the kind of future he was going to have. When I zoom in close to you, what do we see? What kind of future? What's your destination going to be? What do you expect it to be? When you write down your dream, and I hope you've done that this year. I know I do it every year. I get a piece of paper and I write down all the things I expect to do. What are my main goals and priorities? And I try to fit all my schedule into those goals and priorities. I hope you've done that. I hope you've given God something to work with. And I hope you sit there and you say, that's my destination. That's where I'm going. When you look at Abraham, you can see this guy's future. You can see the future he's building. You're telling me you're going to college, you've never even applied. You're telling me you're going you're gonna to fix your marriage, you don't even talk. You're telling me, you're telling me, you're telling me, you're telling me. Where's the evidence? Look at Abraham's life. You see his patience. You see this guy. He moved from a place of comfort because he realized, I can't get to where I want to be here. It's a guy who understood, do you... Look at the preacher for a second. Do you get this? Do you understand that you can pray all day, but if you're not willing to build a future, if you're not willing to take ownership of this, if you're not willing to say, let me wrap my arms around this, you will never get to the place God has for you or the place you dream to be. You'll be distracted for years to come. Here's what's scary at 58. You look back and see how many times you were distracted. Sometimes for five years, three years, two years, chasing after things that didn't make sense. Angry over things you should have let go. Holding on to stuff you should forget. Trying to hang around people that have already stagnated and will never move. You find yourself feeling these emotional worries that you should have been let go. Father, we lift our hearts today believing that some of us have a future. But some of our future, you can see, but we can't see. I couldn't see this. There were things that you wanted to do in my life that I could not see. I wasn't mature enough. I wasn't exposed. I didn't understand how in the world you could take me and use me in certain ways. I, I, didn't, un, I didn't see myself as being a, a, a strong academic person. I'm way more educated than I ever thought I would be. I've gone to more school than I ever imagined I could go. I even make more money than I ever imagined I could make. It's amazing how afraid I was. But you saw something. And you still see something in me. God, you, you have empowered me in ways that I never imagined that I could be empowered. But oh God, tonight, I ask you to touch the heart of your people. There's somebody listening or watching tonight who has not 
seen. It hasn't even entered into their hearts the things you prepared for them. But I pray they leave this time tonight inspired and motivated to believe that they have a future. Lift your hands with me, please. Father, these hands are the hands of your servants. And God, I pray that when they go to work tomorrow, when they leave out of this building tonight, they will say, I'm building me a future. The Holy Spirit is here to help me, and I'm going to build a future. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to just make it God's responsibility. I'm going to write down what I want and believe God's going to guide me as I go. And Father, in Jesus' name, fear, we cast it from us. But we're going to also open our heart to counsel, wise advice. We're not going to just run out and do things. We're going to listen. I want you to put your hands down. I want you to look at me in my face. I want you to hear me. Because when you hear this kind of sermon, people get crazy. I'm building me a future right now. I'm going to do something right now. And God spoke to me in that sermon. And I heard God, listen, don't go away crazy. I want you to listen, learn, be patient. But I want you to be determined, confident, and full of faith. So God, we seal this time together tonight. We're not going to leave with imbalance, but we're going to live with faith and fire. We're going to leave God knowing that you're going to guide us. And when people come to give us counsel, we're going to listen to it. And our hearts will be open. And we're going to be faith-filled without fear in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. amen. Now give God a big hand clap and a big shout. Come on, give God a big shout. Come on, give God a big shout. Well, I just pray this was a blessing to you. I really enjoy the times we get to share on demand and how this helps you find God's will for your life on your own schedule. You pull up this message, you listen to it, and now I want to pray for you because I believe that you heard something that will help you. You saw one man change his life direction. You saw one man make a decision and it changed everything. You can be the same way. You can make one decision and change everything. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for those who've listened to this sermon, and I pray that it inspires them to serve you. That this would be the beginning of a new life, and I pray that they would rise to a place where they would say, I want a new beginning for my life in Jesus' name. And listen, it's been great. We're going to continue this study next week. Talk more. We'll talk more about this whole idea of how you make decisions and how they impact your life. It's really going to be a great study, so don't leave us. I'll see you next week. Enjoy this time.